Thank you, Aaron and Joseph. Appreciate that. Fits in with the theme of what we've been looking at from the book of Jonah. Uh, last Sunday, I would believe that Jonah felt it was a privilege to bring his need to the Lord in prayer. Uh, chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. Chapter 2, running to him. And today we look at chapter 3, Jonah running with God. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had decreed he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use it now in our lives as we open this passage of Scripture. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would guide us into your truth. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, Remember All the Way, William Townsend tells the story of an evangelist who was going to resign from his ministry. He had run into problems and there were some criticisms that came his way and and so he told a friend of his that he was just going to quit. He had, he had had enough. And his friend said to him, why are you giving your resignation to me? He said, when you began your ministry, you said that Jesus was calling you to tell others about him. I think you need to present your resignation to the one who called you. Let's get down on our knees. And you tell him what, that you're going to quit. Tell him what you told me, that it's too hard and there are too many people who criticize you. Now, the evangelist said, I, I kind of hesitate to do that. I'm afraid he might tell me to stay on the job. <laughs> His friend said, if that's what he wants, don't you think you'd better stay? And so instead of resigning... He resigned, right? And he was willing to, to, to follow the call of God for his life. 
In the first chapter of Jonah, Jonah tries to resign. He takes off on a ship to Tarshish, not because he thought he could somehow hide from God. He, he knew better than that. But this was his way of saying, I am done being a prophet. No more. I am not going to go to Nineveh. It's just too hard. But in this third chapter of Jonah then, the prophet changes his mind. Instead of resigning, he re-signs. And he isn't really joyful about it. We know that from the following chapter. He's not really happy with this. But he agrees to go. And he begins then to run with God. Verse 1 tells us that the word of the Lord came a second time. Go to Nineveh. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So what does it mean to run with God? There's three things I want us to notice in this passage this morning. First of all, running with God is going where God wants us to go. Now, if you wonder why Jonah agreed now to go to Nineveh, I think there's a couple of reasons we could note. First of all, God's discipline had done its work. Jonah experienced some very challenging things while he was running from the will of God. But he saw in all of those things that he experienced that this was God's hand. This was God's doing. Jonah believed the wind was sent by God, chapter 1, verse 4. He believed that the fish was appointed by God, chapter 1, verse 17. He believed that the waves that came over him were not the waves of the sea. These were God's waves, chapter 2, verse 3. So in all his trouble, he experienced that the hard way that it doesn't pay to run from God. And I hope that lesson is so clear in our minds that when God is calling us, it does not pay to go the very opposite direction like Jonah did. In fact, Jonah discovered that it was more dangerous to be out of the will of God in the ship than it was to be in the will of God in Nineveh. Yeah. I remember several years ago, there was a pastor in my hometown of, of Cloquet who had left the congregation to go as a missionary to Beirut, Lebanon. And that was during a very difficult time. Uh, and people were wondering, why in the world would you leave a safe place like Minnesota to go to a place like Beirut, Lebanon? And so he was interviewed by the local paper. And he made a statement that has stuck with me. He said, I am safer in the will of God in Beirut, Lebanon, than I would be outside of the will of God in Minnesota. And I don't know what the community thought of that statement, but I thought, you know what? Here's a man who understands that being in the will of God is the best place, right? And he was willing to go where God had called him. So Jonah had learned the discipline of God had done its work in Jonah's life. But then also Jonah was willing to go to Nineveh because he had made that vow, right? In chapter 2, verse 9, 
I will pay that which I have vowed. And he was determined then to fulfill that vow. And God was giving him then a second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Have you noticed how many times in Scripture God has given people another chance? Another opportunity to follow Him as God leads? Moses. How many times did God call Moses? He had all these excuses. But God says, no, 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 Moses, I'm not going to accept those excuses. I've got an answer for every one of them. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And finally, he did. Or we think of Gideon. Throwing out these fleeces, you know. God, if you really want me to go. If you really want me to go. And God continued to to call him. Or think of Jeremiah. He said, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a youth. But God continued to call. God could have found someone else in Moses' case. He could have found someone else in Jeremiah's case. He could have found someone else in Gideon's case, but he didn't. He called again. He gave them another opportunity to follow his will. That's the case with Jonah. Has the Lord ever given you a second chance? You said no the first time. God wanted you to be involved in some kind of ministry or God wanted you to go somewhere, whatever it is, and you, you said, um, let me think about it. No. And then God called you again and you said yes. And you are thankful you said yes. Huh? I still remember very well when I was in college and I remember praying, Lord, I'm willing to do Whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. And it was just like God was saying, okay, let's see. <laughs> and so our church in Cloquet had this little congregation we served out in the, the booming metropolis of Tamarack. You've heard of Tamarack? Well, it's, it's actually a little town in Minnesota. <clears throat> and so my dad asked me to go there and preach. <clears throat> Guess what I said? Oh, I couldn't do that. And it was just like the Lord said to me, didn't you just say that you are willing to go where God wants, where I want you to go? You're willing to do what? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I had to agree I said that. But I was too stubborn to go back and say, yes, I'll go. I, I didn't go. And then my dad came down with phlebitis. He couldn't, he had to have his foot up, and I often wondered if I was the cause of his phlebitis. So he asked me again, are you willing to go now? Yeah, I'm willing to go. Second chance. God doesn't always do that, but there are times when we say no, and God says, okay. The second time, right? That's what we see with Jonah. The second time God called him and and Jonah was ready to go. Warren Wiersbe says, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. When we fail, the enemy wants us to believe that our ministry is ended and there's no hope for recovery, but our God is the God of the second chance. Maybe God is 
giving to you today an opportunity, a second opportunity to follow what God wants for your life. Maybe you've just kind of been putting up your hands and saying, you know what? That's not for me. You know what? I, I, I just can't do that. God might be saying, that's my plan for you. And I'm calling you again. Go to Nineveh. Whatever that Nineveh might be, go to Nineveh. Now, this doesn't mean that we should purposely say no because we believe that God is going to give us a second chance. That, that's just not the attitude of a, a committed disciple, right? Okay, I'll just say no, and if God, well, then maybe I'll go later on. But if you've said no, and God is calling you in some way to serve you, serve Him, then we ought to say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to go. Now, do you think it was any easier for Jonah to go now? Could you make an argument that it was maybe a little bit easier because he didn't want to go through another experience like he had just gone through, right? <laughs> Thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish and then vomited out on the land. So, so maybe you could make that argument. But you could also argue that it wasn't any easier than the first time because Jonah still struggled with the idea of preaching to the people of Nineveh. They were our enemies, Jonah could say. They, they are gruesome people. They have destroyed other nations. You want me to really go there? Has God ever asked you to do something you really didn't want to do? What was your response? Yes, Lord, or I don't, I don't think so. I read a story about a missionary who came home from uh, the field for some rest, recuperation, and the evening before she went back, there was this gathering of people kind of giving her a send-off, and, and one of them said to her, I am sure that you are anxious to get back to your mission field. And for a moment, there was a frown on her face. And, and then very solemnly, she said, No, I, I'm not really anxious to get back. And she went on to say, The place where I live has no modern conveniences. There's no pure water. And I'll be cooking my food on a wood stove. I will desperately be lonesome for my family. And when I, when I remember that it'll be three years before I see them again, I will be tempted to say, I'm going home. But then she said this, No, I'm not anxious to get back, but I am more anxious to do the Lord's will than to do anything else. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Because there are times when God's will might not be the most pleasant thing for us. might not be our choice. We might have other plans, right? And we might say, you know, I'm struggling with following God's will for my life, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow where He leads me. So running with God is, is going where God wants us to go. 
And I don't know if that means something for you that God's going to lead you elsewhere, but are you open? Are you willing? Willing to say, Lord, I'm, I'm at your disposal. Lord, do with me as, as you would desire. The second thing we notice running with God is saying what God wants us to say. When God told Jonah the second time to go to Nineveh, he gave Jonah some pretty clear instruction, didn't he? Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and notice this, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah wasn't given the freedom to say whatever he wanted to say. Jonah was commanded to say only what God wanted him to say because that is what a prophet is commanded to do. That's what a pastor is commanded to do. That's what an evangelist is commanded to do. That's what a missionary is commanded to do. We are called to proclaim what God says we ought to proclaim. We don't change the message to fit the culture. We proclaim it as it is written in the Word. And I remember my dad saying very often, and let the chips fall where they may. We don't apologize for the message we proclaim. It was a simple message that Jonah was called to proclaim. It's found in verse 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days... And Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in English. Five words in the Hebrew text. But it was very clear and to the point. It was a simple and straightforward message. And as I was thinking about that, I think it's important for us to realize this because sometimes we can make sharing the Word of God to be a complicated thing. And I think Satan wants us to cower in fear because I don't know enough. Or what if they ask me something I don't know how to answer? And all those kinds of fears that come our way when the message of, of, of Jesus Christ is a simple message, isn't it? In fact, Jesus said you need to become like little, little children. Like little children. I often think of the blind man in John chapter 9. Three times he was asked how he received his sight, and he gave a very simple answer every time. First of all, his neighbors and those who previously saw him begging said, is this the guy that used to, used to beg? And others said, well, yeah, it, that's him. Others said, well, it, it looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one. And so they were asking him, how then were your eyes open? He said, the man who called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, said, go to the, the pool and wash. And I did. And now I'm, I can see. Well, then the Pharisees asked him, how did you become able to see? And he said, he applied clay to my eyes that I washed and I see. Simple answer. And then, the second time the Pharisees called him to come, and they said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. And his answer was this. He says, 
Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know that much about him. But one thing I know, he said I was once blind. Now I see. Simple testimony of what Jesus had done for him. And so they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I told you already. Like, don't you get this? It's not complicated. I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And I love this statement. He said, you don't want to become one of his disciples too, do you? Is that why you're asking me, Pharisees, that you want to become one of the disciples? Oh, they didn't want to hear that at all. Don't you love how this man gave a very simple proclamation of what Jesus had done for him? He didn't know much about him at that point. He wasn't trained in theology. Very simple testimony. I love it. Something happened on January 6th of 18. There was a snowstorm in the city of Colchester, England. There was a teenage boy who was unable to get to his own church, so he went to a very primitive Methodist chapel. The pastor was gone, and it was a layman who was preaching, and he was very nervous and felt like he just wasn't really prepared to to give a, a sermon but his text was Isaiah 45:22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And he kind of kept repeating his text over. Look unto me and be saved all you ends of the earth. Then he said, a man need not go to college to learn to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he saw this young man who was sitting in the congregation. And he looked at him and he said, Young man, you look miserable. Young man, look to Jesus. Do you know who that young man was? Charles Spurgeon. He was that teenage boy who went to that service And that layman gave a very simple proclamation of the gospel and Charles Spurgeon's life was transformed. Let's not make it complicated. Let's proclaim clearly who Jesus is, what he's done for us. It It was a simple message. And I would suggest to you that it was a balanced message. And what I mean by that, a proper balance between law and gospel. It's easy to see the law here, right? The law was very clearly spoken. Uh, Forty days and, and uh, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But is there some hint of hope here? It wasn't immediate destruction. It wasn't today is the end. Forty days. Is there a hint of mercy there? Is this... God's way of saying to these people in Nineveh, judgment is soon. You better repent. You better turn from your sin. We read from Jeremiah chapter 18 this morning. Let me read verses 7 and 8 again. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, 
torn down and destroyed. And if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. God warned the Ninevites. And they took heed to that warning. There was law, judgment is coming, but there was that opportunity of of repentance. And that's what we need to proclaim. We proclaim the law, don't we? We need to. People need to recognize their sin and that judgment is coming. But we also proclaim that there's hope. The ark, the door is still open. There's opportunity to be saved. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So running with God is going where He wants us to go, saying what He wants us to say. And then thirdly, running with God is very simply leaving the results with Him. Leaving the results with Him. I am so thankful as a pastor for verses like the Word of God will not return to Him void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it sent, He sent it. Because that takes the pressure off of me. I can't change anyone's heart. I can't change anyone's life. But I have a message, and you have a message that can. And we share that word, and then we leave the results to God. When I was thinking of a title for this message, my my first thought was to call it Running for God. Then I thought, you know what, that, that could imply that God calls us, we take off, and you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> oh no, it's not running for God, it's running with Him. Because whenever we proclaim His Word, we can trust that He is there speaking through that Word. Can we not? Absolutely. I love what First Corinthians 3 says. Verse 5, Paul asks the question, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? He answers by saying, Servants through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Nothing special about us, but God who causes the growth. Isn't that great? We share the Word, and God takes that Word, and He causes it to bear fruit in people's lives. It's His work. We're just vessels of of His. Look at what happened when Jonah preached God's Word in Nineveh. The results are are really amazing. The greatest miracle that takes place in the book of Jonah is not that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and survived. You know what the greatest miracle that happened in in the book of Jonah is what we find in this chapter. The lives of those Ninevites were transformed. That's the greatest miracle because salvation, salvation is the greatest miracle You know why? Because by nature we are dead in our sin. We have hearts. Jeremiah describes as deceitful 
above all things, desperately wicked, who can understand the evil human heart? It takes the, the mighty power of God to save a soul. And so the greatest miracle in this book is not Jonah being swallowed by a fish, but what happened in, in Nineveh. And we get the impression that the, the results were almost immediate. Because verse 4 says, Then Jonah began to go through this city one day's walk. Remember, it was a three days walk through that city. And he cried out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And verse 5 says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. One author says, Since no further preaching is mentioned beyond the first day, it is possible that Jonah's planned three-day preaching tour proved unnecessary. The revival broke out in the city on the first day. Isn't that amazing? The city of Nineveh, of the Assyrian Empire. Evil, destructive people. But I'll tell you what, they must have been ripe for the gospel, right? They must have been ready. Because I'll tell you what, those results came very, very quickly. You know what, sometimes you find people who are so open to hear the gospel, just take someone to share it with them. I will never forget coming into the hospital several years ago, intensive care. There's a guy in an oxygen mask had just had a heart attack, and I walk in there and I greet him, and the first words out of his mouth was, I'm not ready to die. I thought, hmm, that might be an open door, huh? Duh. So I shared the gospel with him, and he embraced Jesus. Three days later, he died. But I told him, I said, you need to tell your wife what Jesus has done for you. So after he died, I went to the house to plan the funeral and I asked his wife, I said, did your husband say anything to you about what had happened in his heart, his life? He sure did, she said in her Finnish stern voice. And I said, what did he say? He said, I put my trust in Jesus and you need to too. So I asked her. She knew Jesus. No. Would you like to embrace Jesus? She said, yes. Her son was there too. Same thing. You talk about an open door. I wish it were that case always, but there are times when, like Jonah experienced here, where there was an openness to the Word. And lives were changed. The results were widespread. Uh, Jonah's preaching impacted the, the whole city. Verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. So it wasn't just a few people here and there. This was a widespread movement of God. And it changed their lives. They, there was a turning to God in, 
in prayer. The, the, the king issued that decree and he said, Don't let man or beast or herd or flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let him call on God earnestly. The king took that warning of judgment seriously and he urged his people to pray. In the city of Nineveh, mind you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our president and our governor urged people to pray? We've got problems in our nation, don't we? And so often the solution is a man-made government solution. As if that is going to work. It's a spiritual battle. There are spiritual needs that only God can meet. Would to God our leaders in our, in our country would say, it is time to get down on our knees and pray. We've got problems we can't handle. Only God can. That's what that king did. Would to God that would happen in our land. Let men call on God earnestly. Notice it was a humble prayer. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. There was no demanding of God to withdraw His anger. The king, the king knew that they did not deserve such mercy. But he was simply asking the people of Nineveh to present their request to God and perhaps maybe He'll have mercy upon us. And that turning to God in prayer resulted in a turning away from sin. Verse 8 says, But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let them call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. And that is a good description of Nineveh. They were violent people. Gruesome people. When we talked about them on, uh, in chapter 1, I, I mentioned to you, there are things that they did I can't even read in a, in a, on a Sunday morning. So gruesome. And notice verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, Then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring on them, and He did not do it. There was genuine repentance. Calling upon God, turning away from their sin, and God had mercy on them. They had repented, and God did not bring upon them that judgment. When a person repents, life is changed. When there's a genuine sorrow over sin and a trust in Jesus, lives are changed. I remember when I was in high school, sitting at a Bible study in our church, and there was a man that was traveling from somewhere 
south of Minnesota back to Canada. Wednesday night Bible study. And for some reason, my, my dad called, called him out in the Bible studies and he said, Sir, do you have something you want to share with us? And he said, yes, I do. He said, revival has come to our city in Canada. I don't remember what city it was. He said, all kinds of people turning to the Lord. And he said, they had to hire, mind you, more workers in some of the stores because people were bringing back things they had stolen. Lives changed, huh? Turning from their evil ways. He said, it is so wonderful. The movement of God upon that community was so obvious because lives were being transformed in a marvelous way. Wouldn't you like to see that kind of thing happen in our day, in our city, where people are turning from their sin, not running from God, but running to Him. And when you run to Him, you're running away from, right? The way that you used to live. There's only one way that that's going to happen. And that's if God does it. And God does it through His people, right? As we go where God sends us, as we say what God tells us to say, and then we watch. Lord, what are you going to do? Whose life are you going to change? Who is it going to be this week? Back in the 60s, when I was younger, there was revival in our church. There were people getting saved almost every week. And then you go to church, I wonder who is it going to be this week? There were like 35 people that came to Jesus in a period of three months. Left and right, revival. Oh, that God would bring that kind of movement of His Holy Spirit again. It comes through the proclamation of the truth of God's Word. Jonah saw it. Oh, that we would see again God move in such a way. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for the, the power of Your Holy Spirit to take that message that, that we proclaim. Oh God, would You use it? Would You bring many into the Kingdom of God who, who turn from their sin and put their trust in You, Lord Jesus. And may You receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. For it is in Jesus' name that we ask.